Hello, and welcome to I Am Dad podcast with your fatherhood authority, Kenneth Braswell. 30 minutes of wisdom, information, resources, and nuggets to help you on your fatherhood journey. Or maybe you're just curious and want to hear some real talk about fatherhood, family, and the minds of men. Well, guess what? We got you too. Sit back, grab your pad and pen, and maybe even bring a little something to sip on. Enjoy 30 straight minutes of fatherhood, family, and fun with the fatherhood authority. Kenneth Braswell. Welcome to I Am Dad Podcast. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining us another Sunday morning. Hope you're having a great morning. We're going to keep you entertained, educated, and entertained all at the same time. Um, Thank you for continuing to follow us and subscribe to us. Those numbers are helping our algorithm and allowing us to be able to reach many more people. So I thank you all for that and responding to my call um, to allow us to, you know, be seen by more people. And so uh, we are edging up on um, a year. Um, I Am Dad podcast is edging up on a year, which is kind of cool to think about it. I didn't, to be honest with you, when I started it last year, I didn't think it was going to go this long, but um, the conversations and things that's happening, it's just kept me intrigued and the people that I have met along the way and I've heard their stories just keep me motivated to continue to do these things. And then the feedback from you all um, with respect to how valuable the information is to you, it's just a driver for me to continue to do it. But each and every Sunday, I get a chance to talk to an awesome mind, an awesome heart, an awesome spirit. Sometimes they're my family. Sometimes they're my brother. Sometimes they're my coworker. And on some special Sundays like today, they're all three. And that's this individual that our guest today, and his name is Javin Foreman. Um, he's a long, lifelong community servant committed to impacting um, causes but affect black and brown teens, adults, and adolescents. As a youth development practitioner, Javin has been involved with programs in Chicago for civic organizations, including the Illinois Department of Human Services and the Chicago Public School System, where he served as the program manager for multiple initiatives. He's a Morehouse graduate, and he now lives in Atlanta. Um, Javin has also worked on programs that benefited teens on probation inside the juvenile courthouse and youth participating in youth programming throughout the city of Atlanta's recreational centers. His current role, to which we're going to be talking about today, is as a project director for Fathers Incorporated's Gentle Warriors Academy, where he oversees the $5 million grant that impacts Metro Atlanta dads ages 18 to 40, 900 of them, y'all. Beyond his social services background, he is an experienced marketer, visual designer, and a web developer. Javin brings these skills to the projects that he is involved in to ensure proper branding, communications, and messaging. And in his personal life, Javin is a dedicated father of three, a daughter and two sons. And in Javin's spare time, he serves as a mentor and a youth basketball coach and trainer. But he's just a good dude, man. I don't even know. I said all that for you. But at the end of the day, this brother is just a good dude. How you doing, Javin? Man, brother, what can I say, man? Happy to be here with you, KB, man. You know how we do when we get together, my brother. We get it in. So I'm excited, man, just to connect with you on this level. Yeah, nah, it's, um, you know, this, I mean, we're, we work together every day and, you know, I remember, you know, meeting Javin, you know, in, at a movie premiere, 
which is kind of crazy. Um, with um, I can't remember who that premiere. I think it was Ron Fest. Yep, yep. That's who the movie premiere was. Ron Fest and um, Omar Epps. I think it was Omar Epps was there. I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. Oh, Omar Anthony, Epps. Hamilton. Anthony Hamilton. Anthony yeah, Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anthony Hamilton was there, and so and um and and and, and yeah, we just and Malik Yoba. He was there. Yep. I think it was there. I, I think, think so. Yeah, somebody I think else. Malik Yoba was there as well. And so, but um, yeah, I met a lot of people that night that are in my space and in my circle today. Um, but we get to do this work here in Metro Atlanta and then across the country, this work of fatherhood. But he oversees Fathers Incorporated's Gentle Warriors Academy. And I needed to bring him on to talk a little bit about um, the work that we're doing here in Metro Atlanta. I interview people from all over the country. And one day I was like, I ain't talking about the work we do here in Atlanta. I got to get happen on so people kind of know what we doing, you know, here in Atlanta. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Javin, I start off all my interviews with this simple question. And so you can answer it any way you want to use it or any way you want to um, express it. But what's your daddy's story? Man, my daddy's story is interesting, man. You know, I think as you're talking about who my father was and who my father is. So, um, man, my father was a father that didn't have a father. So, you know, you can imagine what that is. But what I think his uh, his thing was now I can look back as a father. And that's a lot of fathers. And there is, you know, my father was trying to figure it out the whole time. You know, I, I call my dad. He was the fun parent, man. Grew up. I think he was growing up alongside us, but also kind of seeing this is what it would have been like to have a father, probably the way he would have wanted to be parent, which is good things that come along with that, but it's things, you know, that, that can be detrimental, you know, as well. But my father was a community dad. He was dad to a lot of, you know, my homies and friends in the neighborhood and all of that, man, highly respected. Everybody called him and still does call him Skull to this day, man. That's what he's known as. But it was, it was a beautiful thing, man. Gave me the gift of basketball, gave me the gift of community, entrepreneurship, hard work. And, you know, when I say critical thinking, those are the things that are the foundation he set for me, man. So still talk to him every single day of my life, man. He uh, moved to Atlanta about four years ago to be closer to um, my family. You know, he travels to AAU events anytime my boys and I go out of town. So that's my dog, man. That's my dog. Wow. Now talk about it from your vantage point, being a dad, because you got some awesome kids. Talk about your kids and talk about your dad. Talk about your daddy experience. Absolutely. So I appreciate it, man. So uh, my daughter's the oldest. So, um, of course, she was my firstborn in Chicago. So and I think it's really great. And I really visualize this thing, to be honest, man. I always knew I wanted to have a girl first. I grew up with only a brother. And I always thought it'd be so dope to have sisters, man, you know, because I had older cousins and things like that. And, you know, um, you know, just what you get from that level of responsibility, having somebody looking out for you, somebody that's cool, almost that mom figure, but it's cool, too. So that was my vision for my boys. And I wanted two sons, you know, so same thing. I grew into this father role along <clears throat> alongside as they were growing up. But one thing that was interesting I got into fatherhood work before I was actually a father. I was in the Department of Human Services. As you mentioned, I was a case coordinator for teen fathers. Here mm. I am, a 20-some-year-old guy, don't have children. I'm working with these 16, 17-year-olds that have a child or two, you know, and I'm not a dad yet. So that was my lens looking at things, you know, what's this fatherhood 
thing all about. Um, but I jumped in feet first, particularly when I had my boys, man. I just knew what I wanted to give them, which was that amazing childhood, man. I got to play Nerf basketball in every room in my house, man, be outside, you know, my brother and I having fun. So I knew what it felt like to have a brother. So that was one of my prayers that I can have brothers, man. And so it's, it's come out, man, to plan. God really had a plan for my life, particularly in this fatherhood thing. So it's my purpose and it's my joy. Mm-hmm. And so now we find ourselves in Atlanta. But before I get to Atlanta, I want to roll back um, to Chicago because a few weeks ago I actually interviewed um, Jeffrey Leving, who's a prominent attorney in the Chicago area, big time. He's the big attorney across the country, but definitely big in Chicago and in Illinois. Um, and we were talking about Chicago and I was sharing with him some work that I've been doing in Chicago and talked about how Chicago is home to one of the most beloved TV father figures in TV history. Um, James Evans played by John Amos, um, good times, which was, I believe it was set. The scenery was set, um, in Cabrini green, um, projects, even though it was filmed in California or Burbank or somewhere, somewhere other than that. But that's what it was. That's the neighborhood that they were depicting. When you think about your Chicago life and where you were in Chicago, talk about what, is it about that experience that has led you to do the work that you're doing? Yeah, so Chicago is really interesting in the sense that, you know, neighborhood I grew up in, I grew up in Hyde Park, um, which Hyde Park is where University of Chicago is. And is you know, it's, it's like New York in, in, in some senses, you can be right here in one place where it's really nice on whatever this street is two blocks over, might get a little bit rougher, but everybody is sort of mixed in. So Chicago is probably one of them, I mean, Hyde Park, is probably one of the most mixed income and less segregated neighborhoods in Chicago, which Chicago is extremely segregated. But what I'll say is Chicago, we grow up um, with a sense of black pride, you know, Afrocentric, you know, um, is, is, is at the forefront. I went to a preschool where I learned Swahili, you know, for example, a parent co-op where the mom's in our neighborhood and my mother's friends came together and they started their own daycare. They had the values they wanted to espouse. You know, a lot of my friends had African names, you know, um, and we grew up tight, you know, still to this day, those are my people, but lots and lots of pride of being black, you know, black mayors, Harold Washington, Jesse Jackson. So that piece is there, but it's also a strong piece of humanity, you know, um, understanding who we are as a people, but also loving all people, you know, and then, because growing up in Hyde Park, University of Chicago, I was never intimidated, you know, to work with people of different colors, you know, I'm thinking I'm less than, probably had 98% black teachers coming up, you know, I went to all public high schools and that sort of thing. So I believe Chicago is one of the epicenters of culture, you know, I think Atlanta has has grown into that as well. When you look at what's happening to black people, I think Chicago and Atlanta oftentimes are pulses of, you know, where we are as black people, you know, in the United States. What's different about Atlanta and Chicago? Um, one thing I could, I could truly say is, I think Atlanta is blackity black, as we say, you know, and, um, and I was here, you know, I went to Morehouse also. So I was here in the early nineties and I watched Atlanta, 
you know, sort of transform. I think Atlanta is a beautiful city. They remind you of each other in lots of cases, you know, um, but I think Chicago is a much larger city. I think people know about the corruption that has existed in Chicago. So I, what I say is even when we look at what happens on the ground um, in Atlanta, I, I could predict I came back in 2013 and I could see the trends of what was pushing out from Chicago that was about to come to cities like Atlanta. So that's, you know, one of those things. I think it's, you know, kind of that pulse of where we are. I think Chicago, because we're so concentrated, but we have this huge access with corporations and things like that. And I think Atlanta does too. I think we're brother and sister cities. Mm, you ain't gonna show up in that uh, Freaknik video, are you? Man, I hope not. You know, I was always pretty low-key. I was absolutely here during that time period, but I was always <laughs> low-key, my brother. Because <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't a time, thank God, that wasn't a time of overt cell phone usage and people with cameras. But there were cats there with video cameras, oh, cats who had the ability to purchase. Yeah. You would see them, but you ain't see no other footage. So it's gonna be interesting when they finally do release this thing oh, and see no. what's gonna be. But you know up. what? I I think what's happening in the culture now, though, I think we'll look back. That stuff is probably still tame in comparison to, to what's going on. We thought Uncle Luke was a bad boy, man. You look at some of the Uncle Luke stuff. It was a smile with it. Now, man, they just tell you what they want to do and when they gonna do it and how long. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And so now we find ourselves in Atlanta and uh, we're doing this work um, with dads here in Atlanta through a fire grant from the Office of Family Assistance within the Health um, and Human Services um, Agency of the federal government. Talk a little bit about Gentle Warriors Academy, what it is and what it's tasked to do. Sure, sure. So Fathers Incorporated, people that probably are tune into this podcast, probably have a sense, you know, Fathers Incorporated has done some amazing work, you know, uh, we're about to set on 25 years, you know, policy stuff, teaching, you know, big institutional work, you know, interfacing with government and governmental organizations, the training, really setting the tone, you know, so that a project like this could come into existence, you know. But Gentle Warriors Academy is the direct service arm of Fathers Incorporated. It's our first time really boots on the ground. You know, we've had other initiatives where we've been in barbershops and things like that, real dads read. But I think this is the face-to-face. We want to control our own destiny, talk to the, the fathers directly, get the research ourselves. So I think, you know, Fathers Incorporated was this is this prime soil, you know, and I think we were able to come plant a flag with General Gentle Warriors Academy. So we have what I say, our own guys, our own fathers, you know, so... I think it's a beautiful thing, the fact that we can interact with these guys. I think some of the gifts that you have, KB, you know, as an author, as a writer, as a visionary, you know, you're able to put them out, you know, and bring that food forward and we can see it in real time. So um, I think it's our lab, it's our laboratory, you know, um, but it's no question it's one of the answers. You know, we're looking for solutions in our communities and solutions in fatherhood. You can look no further than the work we're doing at Gentle Warriors Academy. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of people are always asking me, how are you so successful? How are you doing this and how are you doing that? And it's often difficult to expose what one might call the secret sauce, right? Because sometimes you can give someone an ingredient to a great tasting cake, 
they can take that recipe and that cake still don't taste like the yeah. other person who does it. But one of the things that we talked about when we started the work here in Atlanta around the grant was this whole notion of brotherhood and creating a safe space. And to me, that's not secret sauce, but that's an ingredient that's really hard to cultivate if you don't know how to cultivate it. Talk about the whole notion of not being in people's faces or being in father's faces, pressing programs and curriculum, but really talking to them about the need to be engaged with us for the sake of being within a safe space. Yeah, so I think um, we're so close to it because it's who we are. You know, it's that for us, by us model. So I think we inherently understood it. So I can remember some of our brainstorming sessions. You know, we had to bring what we wrote on paper to life, you know, and so as we get down to it, and if we're just honest with ourselves as men and as fathers, you know, and I think, you know, all this talk around mental health and all that, which is a 100% true in the internet and just what you see is we all crave connection. You know, it's no question that we crave connection, especially as men. I think we're so disconnected and we're so solitary as we move into our lives. You know, I think the world kind of forces you to be that. I don't think it's anything that men are doing, doing wrong, except we don't take the time to step back and assess, you know. So I think that's what we really have um, have struck that chord inside. Men, that we can tell you it's the best program in the world. We can offer you a gift card. But when I have the conversation, I take these phone calls and I listen for God's reactions and I'll say, oh, the other thing we do offer is, is brotherhood. You know, I know there's some emotional fallout of not seeing your child for four months and you had your child ripped, taken from your arms, you know, um, because the visitation order, you know, wasn't in place. This was a relationship you guys had kind of worked off, off the books, whatever visitation. And so I know that can be hurtful to a man. And guys will just kind of pause and say, wow, somebody understands that. And it's okay for me to say that and to speak that I really was hurt. I took a phone call today where it was a guy, in fact, he was out of New York. He was calling in um, and he told his story. You know, same thing, man, I, I always prayed and wanted to be a good father. I never imagined that I wouldn't have an opportunity. I have not seen my children since March. I got a five-year-old and I got an 11-year-old. I haven't seen them since March and it hurts. You know, so when you can get guys to be that honest with you and open up that vulnerable vulnerable one-to-one, the magic is really is when you hear somebody else express their story, you say, man, I'm not the only one going through it, you know, and that's really where the magic is. Yeah, but I think that people think that it is a, um, that you can go and learn how to be that staff person <clears throat> that understands how to make yourself um, vulnerable and empathetic to the fathers that are coming into your space, which means that you really have to kind of understand and be really selective in the people that you hire that come into your agency to be able to do that work. It's one of the most proudest things I have about our team, which is their passion and their ability to be fluid for these guys and to be available for these guys. Talk a little bit about that process. And if someone's out there really trying to build this team, that's going to be the kind of team that fathers are going to respect and really um, be able to be vulnerable with. Um, how do you begin to approach even trying to put that together? 
Sure, sure. So, you know, for me, you know, and I kind of started, you know, with myself and I even looked at you, you know, as we came in, it has to be lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? And looking at the shirt you went, only reason I didn't wear a Fathers Incorporated because I knew you might be wearing one. You showed me But I represent the colors. But it's it's lifestyle, you know. And so I think that's what you look for. Um, I mean, it's who I am and it's what I do. So I think you look for team members who, you know, sort of share the same mantra. What if it's a caseworker? You want somebody who's busy in that community anyway, you know, who's organizing, doing things for the elders. And it's just an extension of what they do, because what you don't want, how you end up with burned out employees is when they're doing something that they don't like doing. You know, they're doing something just for the check that will only last so much. But when you can, you know, drive the sense of purpose, my thing, I always say, hey, look, at team, we're not we don't make widgets. You know, we don't make widgets. We're touching souls. We're touching people. We are changing generations, you know, um, with this information that we're providing and the power of word. I think we have begun to underestimate the power, what the scriptures say, of word sound. That's all Mm -hmm. it really is. is We can have the best materials and all that, but the magic comes when it's the power of word sound. So I think you want people to share that same philosophy, are passionate about what they do. And I think at Fathers Incorporated, we do a great job of building culture, really understanding who people are, what motivates them, what drives them. And hey, either you are fit for this time, maybe you won't be a fit forever, but you were able to lay another brick, but the foundation and the culture same just stands, just like heat culture. The Miami heat culture, I plug the next piece in. If you have these three or four characteristics, and I think we also build our team members the same way. Mm-hmm. I think the other thing, too, is, you know, oftentimes folks will come into this work um, because they have a desire to do the work, but they haven't developed the passion yes. um, to be able to really put in the amount of work that it takes, to your point, to listen to a father release his story for 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour or two hours. But if that's what it takes to allow him to open up and be vulnerable enough to want to receive your services, you have to be the kind of person that can absorb that and allow that person to release whatever it is they're trying to release, but at the same time, empower them so that they can come out on the other side of that and do exactly what you need them to do. And so when you're looking at um, the team, um, how do you begin to put the process in place that makes you so successful in allowing them to be a part of a team, but still go through a process? Because having a federal grant is not just here's some dollars, go do whatever you want. That's not how it works. Yeah, we kind of laid a framework for how we think it should go, but then there's all these other elements because there's the reporting out of what we have to do to the federal government to show outcomes. So how do you match that passion and desire for the people who work for you, but at the same time, get them to buy in to the understanding of the structure of what it is you're trying to do? Sure, sure. You know, and that's a tough one because you know, I can remember periods when a new person might start and it might be that first three week period, four weeks, it might be two months where you're like, man, I don't know if they get it. I don't know if they got it, you know, um, what it really takes. But we also have to be patient and realize that it's a whole lot. But I think the best thing that you can do in that kind of situation is one, 
Let them see you doing it. They're going to see you doing it, KB. They're going to see the world. They're going to see me doing it. You know, they're going to see me at graduation moving chairs and, you know, me taking on three or three assignments, you know. And so I first show that to show, hey, I'm not above doing any of these positions, anything that they'll see me answering the phones, taking the phone calls from the dads, you know, passing them along. And, you know, and I understand everybody's role probably as well as they do. Maybe not as that, you know, gets down to the nuts and bolts, but I understand case management. I was a case manager. I understand outreach. That's one of the things I'm great at. So, you know, whether it's ideating with them, you know, but also the check-in process, you know, and you can kind of see that person turn and click. And it's really when they begin to take take control. And I know you're a strong leader, KB. I'm a strong leader with what my vision might be. And you want to see things done a certain way, you know. Um, but my thing is always I love to run things past people because I know I may not see everything. It may be, and this is, I'll say this is how I see it. I think this will work. This is my now certain things that have to be done a certain way, you know, whether it's IRB reasons or you know, um, things we've looked at, but that's always my philosophy to be patient. And when you see that light bulb click, it won't turn off. You know, it could be the interaction with a dad. It could be a story they hear, or it could be working alongside you. But I do a lot of team trainings, you know, just looking for what that magic piece might be that next ingredient that'll kind of get this person going. But I look for some fundamental things, you know, first and foremost, just are you a compassionate person? You know, can you communicate? You know, do you understand the population? And I think once you have those basic things, I think once they get inside of our kitchen and they start smelling the aroma and seeing the success, they're hungry for more, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, the other great thing that I love about the team is that you know, oftentimes people will ask whether or not women can do this work effectively and whether or not fathers will resonate with women in order to tell their stories. Um, and we just have a phenomenal freaking crew of women that um, are in both leadership and, and functioning, you know, titles and positions throughout the grant that these guys absolutely adore and they're wide open to them and they have figured out, you know, how to allow these guys to be men, to be fathers, but still have trust that they're going to have their best um, in mind when it comes to providing services. When you think about the women of Fathers Incorporated, um, what this, should that look like or how should people look at people look at particularly women that they're hiring to make sure that they're hiring the right individual that could do that work so when it comes to choosing the uh right right women that'll be a part of your project i think it's crucial you know i know we had conversations we set up we were like women you know a lot of these guys have issues with women whether it's their child's mother maybe it's what's happening with their mom you know and that sort of thing so we really questioned ourselves but i think we have an awesome set of women but one of the things we both know in this work oftentimes referrals will come from a woman mm -hmm. i feel like a call this week where it was an aunt she was calling on behalf of her nephew she was telling me yeah, he's getting railroaded by the legal system and you know this is what's happening with his child's mother so i stopped and i asked how old is your nephew Hey, he's 29 years old, you know? And so she said, I know oftentimes he might be hesitant to take the first step. So I wanted to at least do the first piece of outreach. And she described it as give him a little bit more nurturing in this situation. I need to put my arms around and 
my, my sister and I, we're going to nurture him a little bit more. But it was the hurt that he, he was experiencing. So when we think about, you know, women, I just know that it's important that that is one of those attributes that they see themselves as a nurturer, they respect, they understand, you know, what men are going through, not somebody who's going to bash women, but can also explain it from a woman's perspective. And I think we do a great job, you know, in our cohorts, like we say, hey, regardless of how that situation is right now, your child's mother is still your family. So I think we kind of preach that unity piece and it's just one of our tenets. So I think it's important that we show that also, you know, how men and women can work together for the benefit of these men that are coming in our worlds. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think the other element um, in extension to the internal staff is community collaborations and partners that we have that could fill in the gaps in some of the areas um, that, you know, your grant may not be providing funding for. And that comes from building relationships with people who are of like mind, who understand the population that we're working with and they understand the urgency and they understand the criticalness of being able to provide services in a particular way for this cohort. When it comes to community collaboration, what does that look like and how do you guys go about creating the right relationship for our fathers? Yeah, 100%. We know the community thing is is just crucial, you know, because without it, I mean, you just can't catch all the fish by yourself, you know, and so there are people that are doing other parts of the work, you know, um, but you also want people rooting for you, telling you, you know, ear to the street, this is what I'm hearing, this is what I'm seeing. So, you know, oftentimes they take time to build, you know, oftentimes you want to just jump out and say, hey, here I am, this is what I do, you know, or can you pass a referral to me? Our strongest referral source has come from um, an organization we courted over three years ago. You know, we knew they had the dads coming in, you know, but they wanted to observe to see who we were. Our social media tells our story. I think our track record tells our story. They made one or two referrals. And from there, it's just just been, you know, um, the waterfall unleashing. Once those guys have come back and given feedback, we've had funders, you know, um, on other fathers incorporated projects who've sent their sons, their nephews over to us. And we didn't know, you know, um, but we served them the way that we always serve. Them. Then at graduation, we found out, hey, this young person belongs to somebody that works in the Annie e. Casey Foundation. And they have glowing things to say about us. But, you know, I think we're also strategic. You know, we, we do the work on um, one thing that you're a master at is recording, telling our story. We'll invite partners to come out to our graduation so they can see it and experience it in person. It's one thing to see it on paper, but when you experience, you know, being in our presence, we know like you'll never be the same and we won't have to ask again, you know? So I'm really, really conscious of that. I think we were a little bit gun shy ourselves and trying to get too reliant on partnerships. We know those things can be fickle. People can change, you know, change roles or, you know, they can have a bad day. I heard something and, you know, we didn't want that spigot cut off. So we did a great job of uh, being self-reliant, you know, but I think we're at that point now where these collaborations are there and they're natural, they are fit, you know, and they benefit everybody that's coming to the table. Yeah. I think the other um, secret sauce thing that people are trying to figure out, as you alluded to, is the recruitment piece of it, right? Because that can sometimes make or break your program, whether or not you could actually reach the audience that you're trying to serve. And I know I love you telling the story about how it was year one, um, as opposed to year two. But 
we learned some things as a result of that. And we shifted and we had a funder that allowed us to be innovative in shifting to kind of figure out how do we get into the line of sight of these dads and really be in front of them. Talk about that transition. Talk about the circumstance of the first year and then the transition and how we got to where we are today, where we really don't have an issue whatsoever. A hundred percent. So in year one, man, I say, man, we take a dad. If you had a pulse, if I found out you were dad, man, I was on your bumper tracking you down. Hey, man, come take this 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 10 week course, 40 hours, whatever it was at the time. Like, you know, we were really pushing. I was I was aggressive. I needed and at that time we only needed to serve 100 dads, you know, and so on. We had the budget to put it out on radio. So, man, we said we were everything to everybody. You need a job. Talk to us. You need housing. Call us. (laughs) Your fatherhood whatever it might be. And so you can imagine who we got. The only thing we didn't do that would have been a great mistake. I knew better than to put out and saying, hey, we have a completion incentive. I was right. smart enough not. That's about the only thing we didn't do. But beyond that, we unleashed every tool that we had. So you can imagine who we got, who we attracted. You know, we attracted guys that needed jobs, guys that were sleeping on their best friend's couch, you know. And so as we got into it and we thought about it, we I, I thought about it, I said, man, if I needed a job because I really cannot eat and feed myself, I'm living in my car with my child, how can I really take this class serious for 10 weeks, even though I know our information is great and, you know, and it's transformative, but I won't really be able to concentrate enough with my stomach growling, you know, to even take in this information. So, we had to get smart about it. So in year one, as you know, we were, it took us 800 intakes to come in to get a hundred dads across the finish line. Think about that 800. And we were working all the way until our last cohort ended on the Saturday before the Tuesday. I think it was that, that pro program completion, our calendar year was up. Right. I mean, to the finish line, you know, but one thing that I'm really, um, mindful of and anytime you hear me talk about doing some work is thought work you know it'll be the conversations we have at seven o'clock at night exchanging text to call i called you with yesterday and we'll plant these seeds together and brainstorm you know like our idea about psas right now you know we'll plant these it may not happen tomorrow but we've put it out there but just doing some thought work and i think we do a great job of that so we narrowed it down. We said, hey, here are the three things we know we can help with. We can help with legitimation, which is a huge need in Georgia. We can help with child support, you know, um, issues that a dad might be experiencing. We can help with parenting time, right? Those are the three things we really have the resources in our clutches to deal with. Now we have case managers as a guy comes in, we can help with some of these other things, but this is who we are. With McDonald's, we make burgers, fries, and cola. Expect the ice cream machine to be broken, right? These are the three things we do. And so, you know, I think as we began to look at it, we we, we began to understand who we were and what our value proposition was. And so I think you, we began to see things really take shape. And in year three, in year two, we, we uh, dropped that down from needing 800 guys to uh, get 100 to 800 guys to get 200 guys across the finish line. In year three, we've seen where we're less than 500 to get 200 guys across the finish line. So that's just us, you know, being smart about who we attract, you know, uh, being a little bit 
you know, um, just tighter in our operation, you know, and doing the thought work. And so that's where we landed right now. Mm-hmm. And um, we're learning a lot about these dads, um, particularly about their needs and, 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 and what we, not so much what we can provide, but what they need. Like they're telling us a lot of information. And so as you are seeing, you know, now we're going into year four. So we're talking, um, over 500 fathers going through completion, right? What have you seen in those dads that stands out to you with respect to their needs? Sure. So, I mean, you can always talk about the material needs that you need as far as, um, as far as the legitimation, the child support, you know, um, the parenting time, you always will see those things, right? And so what I've always said more than anything is they need support information and inspiration, right? Those are the three things. Those are the key ingredients because it's the support we provide is the brotherhood. A lot of these issues could be complex issues or it could just be systematic issues. You're going to have to go through this process. It's hard to go through that process when you don't feel supported. You don't see the light at the end of the tunnel and saying, if I complete this paperwork, how much longer will it take? Or somebody saying, hey, man, good job. You know, great job. You know, um, You know, so that's the first piece. I think the inspiration piece is somebody caring, you know, and you haven't seen somebody gone through it also. And so I'm inspired by this brother who had four children. He took all four of his children through legitimation. It was a nightmare. In fact, he got out of prison eight months ago and look at everything that he's done. That's inspiring for me to look back and say, man, maybe my situation isn't as bad as I thought. You know, I was the man with no shoes until I met the man with no feet. Right. So I think it's it's that on um, that gratitude, you know, that we develop. But you just cannot discount what we call is the brotherhood. You know, and I think we all like we started this conversation. We crave that connection It's something, you know, inspiring and empowering to have that connection of brotherhood. So those are the big those are the big things that I see. They just need to know someone is there, you know, and they see them for who they truly are. They're in a space where they can be their best selves for that six weeks or eight weeks or 10 weeks, how long long they're with us. Mm -hmm. You know, we're also in a a unique city. You um, described it earlier as we always describe Atlanta. Um, It's blackity black, black. It's just where we are. And so in the seven counties that we serve, you know, African-Americans make up close to 70% of those um, counties, but in those communities, in those cities around the several counties, the number is even higher, you know, with respect. And so just by nature of where we are, our audience, the fathers that we serve happens to be primarily African-American, but at the same time, we get others, you know, we got, we've had white dads, we've had Latino dads, we've had native American dads. We've had dads come in from out of state. We've had, you know, we have a trans dad, you know, we've had, uh, you know, gay dad. We've had these dads come in. When you look at the program itself and knowing that primarily our audience are African-American, how much have you had to shift to serve those other dads or have you had to shift at all? No, it's it's no shift at all. I think think oftentimes the... um, it might be a shift in mindset to say, hey, we're all dads or the shift is that our curriculum work works. It speaks to all dads. You know, I think it's this, especially in this country, it's this 
dividedness that we feel, you know, and saying, man, they'll feel, um, you know, leery of if they'll get it, if they'll understand. We talk about if one of these guys with gold teeth is on the line, will he? But man, once these dads get in and get together, it's the most beautiful thing. It's that commonality. Because I remember initially our tagline, now we, we we took it down to fatherhood is brotherhood. But you remember we were playing around, playing around with early and it was, um, who support what what brotherhood makes up your fatherhood or something like that it was an extension it was like kind of like who are your men behind that power your fatherhood right and so that's really the power and that's the commonality you know what i'm saying it's a brotherhood of fathers like you're a giants fan right mm -hmm. i'm a bears fan you know and so it'd be hard to get us to talk football and kind of agree on a lot of stuff because in the back of your mind yeah i could talk to them to a certain degree but you know it's gonna cut off at some point right but if our commonality is that we're speaking to each other as fathers that's a righteous thing that's one of the most righteous things that's almost our destiny right and so we share this thing right and so man i and like i tell people man i love kj that's my boy you know what i'm saying and so when i get to know someone's children wow. man, it just takes that relationship and so that's one of the first questions i ask when i'm talking to a dad what's your child's name let's just stop saying your daughter what's her name oh kayla Oh, yeah. So by the time Kayla's 11, man, I know it's tough now. Children are resilient, but she's seven and you doing this fighting. By the time Kayla's 11, it's going to be all good, bro. Just keep pushing, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's that common. And I can't think of any other. I imagine fraternities are cool. You on the line, you were stepping with brothers, you know, taking your shirt off. You might even get hit with the brand. Wow. That's good, you know. But um, man, this fatherhood thing seems to be a whole, particularly when they go through these cohorts together. And you know, if you have not experienced one of our graduations where we go all out, man, it's one of the most powerful things. As you know, we got guys who have never stepped across the stage ever. You're talking about 50, 50 some guys with grandma there. We got grandmas that have to get wheeled out, you know, to come to this graduation, man. And they are as proud. Well, I remember the last graduation, a guy called, man, I heard him on the speaker. He had driven in. He lived in Georgia, but he must go back and forth. He had come in from South Carolina to attend the graduation, called his mother on speaker. Mom, I did it. I did it. She said, man, baby, I knew you would always graduate something. You gave up on so much stuff, but I knew one day you would walk across that stage. You know, just the power now. What about the brother who was at the last graduation? Also, he said, "Man, I went from jail to a diploma." Right. Yeah. All that thing we gave him a diploma, right? And so, you know, you look at that, and then you got fifty other brothers in the audience. So, this is one of the answers for for the world, and this is one of the answers. If we get men back right, you know, to their places and empower them, man, this is one of the answers. Yeah, you know, so yeah, you walked right into where I was going, which is the graduation. That thing is always so emotional for me. I I like the fact that I get to stand in the background now and just watch it unfold. Um, but more specifically, do what I love to do, which is my other hobby, which is just capture it on film and capture it in pictures and just capture the faces and the joy and the you know, we do really well and we've gotten guys that are, you know, great at 
capturing it, capturing it on video and putting together reels and keep churning out these images because it's so important for people to see these guys every quarter that, you know, we're not showing the same guys we graduated three months ago. If you see a graduate today, you'll see them for the next three months. But in three months, you don't see a whole new batch. Whole new batch. Right. And then we're going back and trying to figure out what to do um, with the batch before that. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit because we did create some nuances, right? Um, We really thought about two things, and that was how do we create things within Gentle Warriors Academy? that would allow these fathers to connect in communities and small groups of belonging. And we created two things for them. And I want you to talk about both of them. One is we created tribes, right? Mm -hmm. So I want you to talk about that. But then the second thing I'm even more impressed by right now is the alumni group and what they're doing. But talk about the two of them. Yeah. So, you know, uh, one of the things just just to take it a step further, um, you know, thinking about fraternities and thinking about, you know, you going on these on a, on a journey with somebody, you know, we're graduating. I mean, this is a huge I mean, when you talk about us serving 500, that's serving 500. But we have done intake on close to 2000 dads. Right. And so Fathers Incorporated is such a strong name in the city of Atlanta in this fatherhood space that we want guys who are, who are graduates run each other. I was at a um at a, at a vegetarian restaurant a couple months back, and um, a brother recognized me from graduation. You got to remember, I'm the project director, so you don't see me in the course. I'm like, I'll pop in the cohorts to get the flavor and all that sort of thing. But brother, he said, man, I know you, bro. Where do I know you from? You know how that question go. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm in a lot of places, bro. He's like, no, man, hold on, man. I know you. Fathers Incorporated. I said, yeah, absolutely. He's like, yeah, man, I graduated. He tells me his story. And I'm like, man, that's where he's like, matter of fact, next time you come, this vegetarian place has a long line. He's like, bro, just call my line, man. I'll get you past and all that writing. So, you know, as brothers, we love the hookup. Anyway, <laughs> so I put him in my phone and I put the note next to him and say, okay, Fathers Incorporated graduated in April 20. And so we said, let's take that to the next level. If I graduated in April of 2022, we're going to assign you a tribe that you are part of April. So now when you, the next tribe comes in April of 2023 graduate, they can look and say, oh, I'm also part of the Zulu tribe. You know, that's that's my tribe. Just the next level identifier. So I think, you know, that's ingenious as this thing grows and as we're on the back end, you know, building out our own system where these brothers will be able to uh, connect with each other, you know, Facebook style and set up their own profiles and that sort of thing where they'll have a badge. So, hey, this is when I graduated. One thing they all receive at graduation is a Fathers Incorporated T-shirt, you know, swag. They receive a bag, pins, journals, and the whole nine. And now, you know, hopefully in one of your pods, you talk about, you know, these amazing um tools that you develop in journals, right? So they're going to receive these also. So it's just being on the same page. So that's the first piece with the naming conventions. And the second one, you know, again, just doing the thought work. I had a supposition, the thought I, I began to look at the numbers. I said, we got dads ranging from 18 to 45 to, to some dads, 53. You remember the phone call we got from the 53? We couldn't put in the cohort. Hey, um, my uh, my, my Corvette is, is in the tow yard. Is that something y'all hope with? Cat was about 58. My son loves it. 
He thought that would be enough to qualify for us to put up some federal funds to get his car out of the tow yard. No, brother, we can't help with that, right? But, you know, running these age gamuts, you know, I said I'm wondering if an 18-year-old who's having his first child can relate to a guy who's 36 in the midst of his career, divorced dad, three children, whatever. I'm like, that's a total different space, you know, and so – I asked the facilitators to think on that. Does this 18 or 24 year old feel comfortable enough to fully express himself, you know, in a group of 18, 35 year olds, you know? And so we said, let's try it out. Let's try this 18 and 29. We get all these things. We say this, the generation, what are they? Generation Y or X? What is this generation? Z. This is generation Z. You know, we say all the things they do and don't do. And I'll tell you, when we open the doors for that cohort, it was that's probably been some one of our best cohorts. We this is our second time doing it, and um, but they light up. They want to be respected. You know, they want to learn from older guys. You know, so um, our uh, our facilitator Bo, he does an awesome job with that. But that was us just being responsive to the needs. And now, as you think about it, which all of these things we've talked about have led to the alumni group and say, hey, we got to kind of keep this party rolling. So. The idea stemmed from a retreat that we put together for um for all Fathers Incorporated graduates. You know, we invited them to come out and we just gave them, you know, a weekend, a powerful weekend where they were off, you know, while we were out on a campsite about 45 minutes, an hour outside of Atlanta, you know, from Dorsey Levins to Dr. Um, Dr. Jeff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just a powerful piece. And so just seeing those brothers there, they were hungry for more. And what I put about five of them aside, I said, look, it's only so much we can do. I have to get to the next cohort. I got to graduate this next cohort. I got to do what I got to do. It's no reason that you guys shouldn't take on the responsibility of staying tight. If you've done this great work for six weeks, two nights a week, eight weeks in some cases, you want to be there for each other. And you know, I'm going to be in this place you your best self for that time period. Let's keep this thing going. And so they agreed. They took on the challenge. And so I think we're up to about 35 in the um, alumni group. They meet at least twice a month and, you know, and, and they're getting to it. So I know that's one of our answers also. Yeah, man. I'm so proud of you, bro. I'm so glad that, you know, that we're doing this work together. Um, I know that we're changing lives somewhere down the line. 20 years ago, we're going to have kids walk up to us and thank us for the work that we did with their fathers. Um, They're going to remember their fathers going through something. They're not going to know what, but it's like, all I know is he took some classes somewhere with this organization and my dad turned around and showed up. And as a result of that, that's who I am today. And so um, I want you to be proud of the work that you're doing because we are impacting people that we'll probably never know we impacted, right? And we're going to have an impact on the city, whether or not people want to recognize that or not. Um, I'm so proud of our partners and people that, you know, show up in our space to either provide us funding or support or referrals or anything that can be done to enhance the work that we're doing to ensure that, you know, we're strengthening families one father at a time, right? And that we're um, creating that environment so that our children, you know, can grow up healthy and, and loved and, and appreciated and, and, and motivated and all those things that we want our children to be. And so if you could 
tell people how they can get in touch with Gentle Warriors Academy if they are dad out there looking for these services, looking for the brotherhood. Give them all the information so yeah, they can yeah. get Well, they should definitely be following us on social at fathersincorporated.com on everything. Um, and you should be signing up for the newsletter. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll get put up on this podcast, what's happening here. Believe it or not, we drive a lot of participants from YouTube that are seeing the podcast and just seeing the material that we're putting out but um, definitely GentleWarriorsAcademy.com online. Check us out. We got amazing information on there. You know, we have some of our alumni profiles where you can see what guys are actually saying and have gone through the process. You know, we talk about what legitimation is. We have downloadable fact sheets. We have resource guides on there. And you can always call the office, 770-804-9800. You know, um, info at fathersincorporated.com. You really should get in tune with this movement, whether you're a dad, whether you're a supporter, because everybody has a dad, like you say, KB. Everybody, if you're here, you have a dad, had a dad, right? You know, you are a dad. So um, it's just important. You know, we know we're just one piece of the puzzle, but if we get this piece right, you know, I believe so many other things will fall in place. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dav. I appreciate you, bro. Thanks for being on I Am Dad podcast. Um, this won't be the last time. And we didn't even talk about, we're about ready to look at launching this other podcast. Hopefully it'll be out by now or it'll be coming out soon. And so we had this idea to launch this podcast called Sideline Dad. And so, and folks keep asking me about it. So at some point we're going to have to pull the trigger on this thing and get it moving. But the premise of the podcast is to begin to start um, talking about um, dads who are on the sideline of their children's lives. And so we originally started talking about this thing as a notion of, particularly from a sports perspective, whether that's a dad who had the child in um, football, or baseball, or golf, or tennis, or track, or whatever those kinds of things. But then we've since <clears throat> wanted to expand the conversation because the same thing holds true for dads who have children in band, or who has children in checkers, or has children in debating, whatever it is that we're on the sidelines supporting our children to engage in. Sometimes as parents, we could be a little off the chain you know, when it comes to our children. And so we want to make sure that we put a podcast together that really kind of helps our parents understand how they should conduct themselves, you know, as they are motivating and, 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 and supporting their children in the dreams that they have for their lives. And sometimes it might not even be their dream. You know, I know we went through four, two, two sports, I think we went through two sports and, and, and something else before. Or he, sports. <laughs> you know. Before we decide, some parents go through four, five, six, or seven things before their child decide this is the thing I want to do. Um, so you all hyped up when they playing golf, and that ain't even their thing. They, you right. know, a year from now they're gonna quit that, and you done just cussed out every referee and burnt every bridge and that area that you can burn. And so we're gonna do that and keep uh, keep uh, connected to us. Um, so that when we begin to drop that, we already did one episode not too long ago and it was very well received. And so we're trying to create the atmosphere to do this thing again. So thank you so much, everybody who are listening to I Am Dad podcast. I appreciate you. And you know how I like to leave you. Always be kind to others as you're kind to yourself or you might find yourself by yourself. Always shoot high for your goals because even if you miss, you'll be amongst the stars. And as my good friend Art Mitchell always said to me, 
He said, it's nice to be important, but it's much more important to be nice. I love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. Until next Sunday, peace out. Thank you so much for taking the time to spend with us. You've been listening to I Am Dad Podcast. We hope that you have been informed, encouraged you to think, or even inspired your heart for the love of dads. The conversation does not end here. Come back and join us next week. Same time, same place. Or you can continue the dialogue on our I Am Dad Facebook page. We also invite you to listen to past episodes, learn more about us, and keep up with special activities by visiting IamDadPodcast.com. That's IamDadPodcast.com. Until next time, I leave you with this reminder of manhood from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Because of this reminder, I will always understand that I am dad, period. <laughs>